0: So the passage that we are in today is the end of Philippians. This is it. This is the last week. I was kind of expecting the, oh, but that's fine. I know. It's been a good series, right? Uh, And where we're going today, kind of the paradigm for what we're walking through today, uh, plot twist, is going to be the same thing it's been this entire time, which is the joy of losing. Because that's what we've been talking about all throughout Philippians, right? Is that Paul... His desire for us, because this is God's desire for us, is that we would be a people of profound joy. But the way that we find joy, the way that we walk into it as Christians is not the way that we would expect, not the way that the world tells us that we find joy, that actually joy is found in losing. And that that's been modeled for us ultimately through, through our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all that he left to gain us. And so that as we walk in this kind of dynamic of losing to find that we're walking in the way of Jesus. And we're going to be talking about that today uh, when we, and we're going to talk some about money. And that's what Paul kind of ends his letter with. So, uh, yeah, so let's go ahead and let's start by reading the passage. So if you would, would you guys stand with me as we read the passage today? This is going to be out of Philippians 4. This is verses 10 through 23. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, you, uh, you do an amazing work when we open your word. Lord, it's so clear as we read this that this was a letter written uh, from one man to a very specific a specific group of people. And yet you promise us that through this word, you have given us a, a word that's living and active, that can pierce our hearts, and Lord, we pray that you would do that today, that, that the work that you promised to you that you would do, that you would, uh, that you would be speaking to our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. So what Paul is doing in this passage this morning is that Paul is, is giving to the Philippians a different economic framework for understanding the kingdom of God, Right? That like in our own world, in, our, in the kingdoms that we're a part of, they all have their kind of own economic laws. And Paul is giving a different set of economic laws for the kingdom of God. So that's what we're going to be tuning into, into here today is the laws of the kingdom of God. Now, as a little refresher, okay, for those of you who haven't been in econ class in a while. Oh, no. Well, this is really a letdown. Guys, I like pre-drew the things I wanted to share. Oh my! okay, well, we'll just draw them over again, okay, so if you remember back to econ class, right? so this is a little graph this is the uh this is the supply curve, right? This is the demand curve. this is an increase in cost down here. This is an increase in units. This is going to connect, I promise, okay uh. And, and when you study economics, you study the laws of how these things work and interact, how supply and demand go together, right? So just as an example for what we're currently experiencing, uh, if you know that we're short on microchips in the world, that's a thing that can happen. The supply curve has moved. So there is less of all of the things that take microchips, right? And at the same time, the demand for those things has gone up. So the demand moves up. So what that does is it moves the price point, right? So now all of those things like cars are more expensive because the supply has shrunk and the demand has increased. Okay, so that's like a that's that's an economic law, and that's just the way. It doesn't matter how you organize your economy. That did I draw the graph wrong? Okay, well that's fine. We can talk about it later. Close enough, right? Uh, so what? <laughs> someone else needs to go back to Econ One Hundred and One. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so what this. What this tells us is that regardless of how your, your economy is set up, whether it's a market economy, whether it's a, a government-organized economy, there are certain laws that interact that create our economic relationships. And those frameworks are actually the frameworks that we use for interacting with each other on a day-by-day basis. That, uh, one, the framework that we are always operating out of is this economic framework of giving and receiving. That when I give you something, often what I expect is that I should get something from you and that what I get back from you helps me understand the value of what I've given to you, right? There's a give and receive, a give and take, that we use to conceptualize all of our relationships. And so this economic way of thinking makes its way into our everyday life. That's true. And what Paul is doing here is he's giving us a different economic frame for understanding the kingdom of God. That this is not, the kingdom of God is not a capitalist economy, right? Right? The kingdom of God is not a socialist economy. The kingdom of God has an economy that is unique to itself. It's an economy of generosity. And what Paul teaches us in this passage is what it means for us to be generous givers. It's also an economy of contentment. And what Paul teaches us in this passage is what it means to be content receivers. And as we talk about what it means to be generous givers and content receivers, that what that's going to do this morning is it's going to lead us to the communion table. It's going to take us to this place of celebrating what Christ has done for us. So that's where, that's where we're going this morning. So let's talk first about what it means to be generous givers, okay? So if you look at, with me, look at the text with me, we see in verse 18, Paul tells his friends, the Philippians, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. So if you remember, right, if we go all the, all the way back to kind of the context of this letter, is that Paul is under house arrest in Rome, but Paul has to pay for his own expenses as he's under arrest. And so his friends, the Philippians, heard that he was in jail, and they wanted to help him out. So they sent their friend Epaphroditus with a bunch of money to aid Paul while he was in prison and under house arrest to help him pay his expenses, And so part of the context of this letter is it's a giant missionary thank you note. Paul is telling his friends, thank you for the money that you've sent me. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. Paul is telling his friends, I am overflowing because of your generosity toward me. They've been super generous with Paul, financially speaking. And this is not the first time that his friends have given to him. If we go back to verse 15, it says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving, receiving, except you only. So remember, Paul was on this missionary journey, right? So he was in this area called Macedonia, and when he left the area of Macedonia to preach the gospel somewhere else, his friends, the Philippians, they gave money to him for that journey. They said, we value what you do so much. We care so much about the gift that you have given us by sharing the gospel with us that we want to we help send you off so that you are full to go and to proclaim that good news to other people. You can fill up your time with sitting in synagogues and preaching to people. That You can sit in lecture halls and preach to people. We want you to have what you need to go out and do that. So they gave generously to Paul. But then they did it again. He says, even in Thessalonica, which is a neighboring city, so Paul left Philippi, he went to Thessalonica, and he says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So these people have consistently been partnering with Paul, helping him financially, so that he can have the freedom to declare the gospel to the people around them. And this was generous of them, not only because of all they were giving to Paul, but because the context of their giving matters because they were giving out of a place actually of, uh, of financial need themselves. And we kind of get a hint of that in verse 14. Paul says to them, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. It was kind of you to share my trouble. So in, in giving to Paul in his place of need, the Philippians were actually stepping into a place of need themselves. And we get a little bit more on this in 2 Corinthians. So I'm going to flip. The, if you have your Bibles, you can flip there with me. This is in 2 Corinthians 8. Verses 1 through 4. Paul says this to his, to his friends in, in Corinth talking about the Philippians. So Paul was, this is about a different offering. This isn't them giving to Paul in this kind of context in Philippians. Paul was taking up a different offering for uh, people who are starving in Jerusalem. But when he, describes his, when he describes his friends, the Philippians, he says, they don't have a lot of money, but they have a lot of joy. And from that place, they've overflowed in generosity. And it's those same people whose generosity has been overflowing toward Paul again and again and again. We don't know why they were poor. That could have been the character of the people who came into the congregation from the beginning. It could have been that they became less well-off financially because of their association with Christ. Right? That becoming, becoming believers meant they had to step away from certain social institutions, and it could have meant that that actually impoverished them. But regardless of how it is that they became impoverished, it didn't stop them from giving generously. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, it was their their hope and their joy that overflowed. And it would be really easy here, and maybe you grew up in churches that were like this, to use this then as a tool for shame for what you do with your money, right? To say, well, if people who are poor can give this kind of money, why can't you give more? That is not what we're doing here this morning, okay? And we're not doing that because that's not what Paul does because that's not the gospel. But let's talk about what Paul does do. Look in verse 18. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, and then he says, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Okay, one of the first ways that Paul redefines the economy of the kingdom of God is that he says, yes, it's a generous kingdom, a kingdom of generous giving, but the gifts that we give first and foremost are not to each other. The, the gifts that we give, we give first and foremost to God. So if we were going to draw it, right, we would say this, that the way that we often think about our giving is that you have a giver, and that person gives to the receiver, Given my track record. I hope I spelled these right. So the giver goes to the receiver, right? But often, like we talked about, what happens in this transaction is that giving to someone is a way of putting a hook in the person you're giving to. And when you give, you give to get. And that was kind of the way that the economy functioned. That's not a modern thing. That's the way it functioned in the ancient world. That when you would give somebody money, what you were guaranteeing is that they would give you a favor when the time came. And what Paul is doing here is he's redefining this relationship. What he's telling them is the offering that you have given to me first and foremost was actually a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. And so that when you give, when you're generous, what you're doing is those gifts are a sacrifice that is acceptable that you're giving to God first and foremost. This is important to this is important to Paul because what he's trying to tell these people is, hey, this isn't about me shaking you down for more money, people. What we first have to understand, what he's trying to get them to understand is their gifts first and foremost were not to Paul, but they were a gift to the Lord. And he uses this imagery that pulls us back into the Old Testament Is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. One of the ways the Old Testament talks about sacrifices that were offered to God is that they're a pleasing aroma that go up before him, right? Which is an appropriate imagery for a day where we'll be doing a lot of barbecuing. Then you smell something really good on the grill and you're like, yes to that. I want that. That's kind of the imagery that Paul is using here. But not because God is hungry, right? That would be silly. But that... But that in the way that we smell something good and it pleases us, that it pleases God. Not because he needs something from us, not because he's desperate for our worship in some way, but because it draws us near to him in relationship. That when we when we this was true of Old Testament offerings, and it's true of the way that we offer to God in the New Testament, right? Our spiritual acts of worship that what those things show and indicate is our dependence on our heavenly father. They're a way of us acknowledging to him, God, this is all from you and it goes back to you because we are dependent on you. It's a relational thing. And that's what Paul is reminding his friends, the Philippians of. He says, first and foremost, guys, this is not about our relationship. Your giving is about your relationship with God. And then he says something else in verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the gift that increases to your credit. What? Paul's saying, hey, when I, when I let you engage in this ministry with me, when I, when I invite you to be a part of that, I'm not asking you because I need your gifts. I'm asking you to be involved in giving because there's a fruit that increases to your credit as you give. Paul's actually using financial imagery here. He's saying, your account fills up as you give to God. Like, what is this? What? Are we like suddenly in prosperity gospel land, right? We're like you give, you give a dollar and then God promises to multiply it by 10. And so that, could, that is not where we're going here. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul will tell us later he knows what it is to be in need financially. That's not a mark of someone who doesn't have enough faith. That, that happens to us as Christians. That's, that's just the way life is sometimes. But Paul isn't saying nothing when he says that. That there's a way that in our giving that, th- that there's an accrual to our account. There's something that benefits us in that. And remember, we've got to put it in the context of what we've been talking about through this whole series. That what we have found all throughout Philippians is that as we give, as we lose, right? That actually there's something that we gain there. That as we lose our independence and our autonomy, what we gain is relationship with God and and interdependence with each other. For example. Right, that as we humble ourselves, as we look to the needs of others, what we actually find there is that we're conformed to the image of Jesus and we find joy there. And that that reality is so true that it's even true with one of the things that we hold most dear, which is our money. That as we give, that, that God meets us there. But the way that we invest as people who are part of the kingdom of God isn't, isn't in the act of accruing, it's in the act of giving away, even financially. There's a net gain for us there. What we find, what we're, what we're brought into the sense of is our truer treasure, who is Jesus Christ, right? Because what's so often true about money is that money gets a hold on us and the more we get it sometimes the tighter that vice squeezes and so what giving does is it's a way of us stepping into the into the acknowledgment that we have everything that we need in Jesus Christ and so we can give generously and that f- that frees us from the from the grip that money and our fear of not having enough so often exerts on us it reminds us as we give that money is a tool That money's a tool that's been given to bless us and to bless other people. And I want to encourage you with this. uh, You guys are really generous givers here. And that is a gift. It's a gift to each other, to our congregation. It's a gift to me. It's a gift to Midtown. It's a gift to our city that you are generous. Do you know, fun fact, that during COVID, the giving of this congregation actually went up? I don't know how that works, okay? But that's true. This congregation has given more in the last year and a half than in the year and a half before that. You guys, uh, you're generous givers. And we're so thankful for that. that. That pleases the Lord. And there is fruit that accrues to your accounts because of that. I hope you experience that. And you guys will notice, we haven't made this announcement in a while, but we don't usually pass an offering plate here during our service. And that's not because we believe that taking up an offering is unbiblical. It's profoundly biblical. But what we do know is that living in the South, and it's not even true just in the South. It's true in kind of in, in the culture that we live in right now, that people often think that church is a place that's about money and power. And so we have made a choice consciously to not pass a plate here because we don't want people who are here for the first time to think that that they've been invited here because we need their money. Not passing a plate is a way of us trying to engage in this reality that generosity is from this overflow of our hearts, not because we're trying to weasel something out of God. And so we do, people do give here, like we're talking about, they give online. There's, there's like a box in the back Sometimes and what i want to invite you guys to when i talk when as we're talking about this is that uh this is hard for me to say but it's true that you would grow in the discipline of generosity maybe this is a new pla- maybe this is a new place that you're calling home and we would invite you yeah give here because one of the things that scripture teaches is that where our treasure is there our heart is also so uh we don't We don't give because our heart is somewhere. We give because we want our heart to go somewhere. And so if this is a place that you're calling home for the first time, if you've decided, if God has called you here, we would invite you to give because we want your hearts to be planted here and rooted here with us. And if you're already giving, man, thank you. And there is always an invitation to continue to give, even even to give more not because we need it, but because that's a discipline God has called you into. Our hope here, guys, this is, this is the part of our vision, is that one day, as a congregation, that we would be able to plant another church. That, like, that our congregation would be able to do that. Okay? And to do that, one of the things that's important for us is that we would be self-sufficient as a congregation, because we're not right now. That other Midtowns give to support the work here, and not grudgingly, they do it with joy, and we're so thankful for them. We would love to get to the point where, where we are able financially to plant another church, that we'd be able to support other people in hearing the gospel when they can't give enough for it themselves. That's a part of the vision that we're growing into. But even as we're talking about that, guys, there are so many good gospel places for you to give your money, and we celebrate those things. Like, we have a lot of people here who are involved with Young Life. I love the gospel work that Young Life does in our city, that they're taking the gospel to teenagers, in a really critical part in their moment in their lives, right? There's young lives. So there are people who are doing that with teen moms. There's young life, Capernaum, that they're sharing the gospel with people who have intellectual disabilities. That's beautiful gospel work. That's happening right here in our city. And that's true, that's true uh, for the domination that we're part of. There's this mission to North America, right? That people give money to actually further the advance of the kingdom here in, in, on our continent, There's mission to the world. There are people, actually, not just who are doing gospel work here, but there are places that you can give where there are people taking the gospel to people who have never heard it before, who don't even have the Bible in their language. You can give to that and be a part of that, and that is a good place to give. And so as we talk about giving here, what we're not trying to say is like, hey, you need to funnel all your money through us. That is not what we are saying. What we want to celebrate is that there are so many places that you can be generous people. And that wherever God, leads you, wherever God leads you to give, that is worth celebrating. And we're just talking about like word ministry. There's also the deed ministry, right? The people who are giving and are caring for other people, there, there are ways to give money to that as well. And we celebrate those things. And what, what we want and hope for, right, is a congregation that as we're growing and maturing in the Lord, that we would be growing into more and more generous people. That our joy, what we've been talking about this whole series, would overflow wherever we are, circumstantially and financially, into generosity on our parts. And not even just to organizations, right? We can get kind of stuck uh, in thinking about generosity that way, and and that's true, but generosity is also something that is true in our relationships with each other and with other people who aren't in this room. That you being generous with the people that God has put in your life is a way of expressing this same reality. And as we do that, we're giving sacrifices that are acceptable, that are pleasing to God, that he delights in, because that's a way of us acknowledging and growing deeper in our dependence on him and our relationship with him. So the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, we are called to be generous givers. He also calls us, Paul calls us in this passage, to be content receivers. So if you look at verse verse 11, Paul says this, he starts out by saying, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. You're like, well, Paul, that sounds a little bit rude, right? Like a thank you that's not really a thank you, like a sorry that's not really a, a, a sorry. It kind of sounds like that, that's what he's saying here. Thank you so much, not that I needed it, right? I was gonna be okay. The, che- the other check was already in the mail. Like I could have done it myself, but I appreciate. That's what it, we can, that's not what Paul is saying here, okay? It's important to acknowledge not in at all, that Paul, he knows his role in their life, in the Philippians' life, he knows that he's their spiritual father, and what he's very aware of is not talking about his need in such a way that the Philippians kind of, like, think that when they receive this letter, what he's actually doing is asking for more money, right? Like, there's there's no, uh, they're not texting, so Paul can't, like, correct their misunderstanding of what he's saying by sending a few more texts if he realizes they misunderstand him. He's trying to make it very clear in this one letter that he has that, hey, I'm not asking you for more money. I'm celebrating what God has led you to give generously already. This is like his emoji, you know? (laughs) Thanks. I'm glad to see you guys are awake. Okay, that's good. That's what Paul is doing here. But he's doing something more than that also. Again, he's reshaping the way that they're thinking about the kingdom. He's reshaping their economic view of the world, and he's grounding it in kingdom economics. And what Paul tells his friends is that we can be content receivers, first of all, because everything that we have comes from God. So James tells us, as James says, that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So James tells us every good gift that you have in your life is a gift from God. But Paul actually tells us something more than that. This is in verse 19. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So Paul, Paul isn't just saying, hey, every good thing that you have in your life is from God. He's saying God is committed in your life to meeting every need that you have through the glory of Christ Jesus. Every need. And what we know about God is that God is a cheerful giver, isn't he? In that same passage that we read in 2 Corinthians where Paul is kind of telling the Corinthians about he's inviting them to participate in this offering for the saints in Jerusalem who are starving, Uh, he encourages them. He tells them God loves a cheerful giver. And when he says cheerful, that same word for cheerful is also the word that we get our word hilarious from. God loves a hilarious giver. That kind of hilarious generosity is what he says. He says the offerings that we give, he encourages the Corinthians, they gotta come from the heart. Give what God has led you to give. Don't I'm not trying to twist your arm. But when he says that, right, when he describes that kind of generosity, he's describing that generosity because that kind of generosity is the heart of God. Our God is a cheerful, hilarious giver who does not give because we're twisting his arm. He gives because he delights to give good gifts to his children. And because that's God's character, it means it is always true. And because of that, Paul tells his friends, you can be content, we can be content in any circumstance. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. When he talks about contentment, he's talking about peace, being at rest, satisfied, full. I want more of that in my life, huh? And let's just say, let's acknowledge, that is not the world that we live in, is it? Like, whenever we are on vacation, one of the things we love to do is turn on the TV in the hotel room. It's so novel because there are these things called commercials I don't have to watch anymore because of Netflix, and it's amazing. It feels like a blast to the past. Uh, But what I'm always struck by when we're watching commercials is how intent, and just all of the different ways that people are trying to sell me new things, right? We like to watch Shark Tank when we're on vacation, so I'm watching a show where they're trying to market me new items And then I take a break from that for someone else to tell me I need to buy something new, right? That's what our whole economy is. That's the idea of economic growth is that you need to spend more next year so that the economy can keep turning like this. And just to be clear, advertising didn't create this problem in us. Advertising is effective because we are already people who are discontent, right? This is something that was relevant for Paul to say because this was relevant in the ancient world. Paul is preaching something radical that it is possible to be content to be at peace right now right where you are He says in a He says I'm I'm content and I know how to do that in every circumstance to practice contentment in plenty and hunger in abundance and need Paul's talking about money That's so easy for us right if I just had if I just had more money. And I, I, I don't want to make light of that. Some of you are in places where that's really true, that your life is, is hard, and that the lack of money contributes to that. That's true. That's a very natural conclusion to think. If I just had more, I would not be in the, in the spot that I am. I wouldn't be in this hard situation. And at the same time, Paul says that he's learned the secret of being content in abundance. Because even in places of abundance, we're haunted by our discontent, aren't we? That once we have, what we get focused on is how do I keep it? I've got a lot, now what do I do with it? Where do I invest it? Should I be saving for my retirement? Should I be saving for my kid's college account? Should I be saving in case my car breaks down? Should I? And so all of a sudden, we can be launched into more anxiety the more that we have. And Paul says, I've learned to be content in in both kinds of places. But he's even not just addressing money. Because I know how to be brought low. And the word there for being brought low is the kind of humility that Jesus experienced. Same word there. So what Paul is saying is, I know know how to be content even in places where I am humiliated. Where I've been ridiculed. And he says, I know how to be content when I'm when I'm abounding in that same, in the opposite of that, which is when I'm being glorified, when people are lifting me up and celebrating me. Paul says there's a, there's a way that we can be content even in that place that we don't have to worry about. How do I keep hold of the glory that I already have? It's possible to be content. And what Paul teaches us here about this economy of being content receivers is he says that you and I being content is not dependent on you and I stuffing all the desires of our hearts, Okay there is a whole school of philosophers in Paul's day that taught that. They actually had the same value of contentment. But the way that the Stoics taught that you would reach contentment is that you would deaden your heart. They might not say deaden, but that's essentially what they were saying, right? That you would distance yourself from your desires so that no matter what happened, you would not be flustered. Good things happen, bad things happen, you just stay emotionally stable. And you do that by distancing yourself from your, from your affections and from your desires. Their solution was that you would master yourself. That you would not feel anything too deeply, that you would not want anything too much. And don't be mistaken, we can, we can baptize those ideas and try to make them Christian, can't we? But oh, I'm content in Jesus. So I never want anything. I never have any desires. I never feel anything. I'm never too sad. I'm, I'm never too happy. Well, I'm happy enough to prove that I'm a Christian, but, but not too much, right? Not about the wrong things. Okay, That's not what Paul is teaching us here. What Paul says is something that flies in the face of all of that. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That Paul is saying that our ability to be content is not dependent on us mastering ourselves, it's dependent on us being mastered by Jesus. But our contentment, the source of our contentment, what allows us to be content receivers is that we have been mastered by Jesus, that we have a union with Christ, like we've been talking about through this whole series. That Christ is the one who gives us the strength that no matter our circumstances, we can be content in him. And this is where kind of our lessons are coming together because what, what, what Paul is saying here is that whatever you are being given right now by Jesus is right where you need to be. Is that hard to believe? That Jesus is giving you what you need for right now? For many of you, Yes. but it's true that Paul is saying God has promised to meet all of your needs exactly where you are. Maybe not, ex- maybe not in the ways that you would want, and that's, that's hard, but the promise is that he will meet all of your needs and that, that his desire is to give you whatever you need to be content right now. And Paul is gracious to the Philippians and he's patient with us when he says he's learned the secret of this. It's not like you become a Christian and you get a zap of contentment in your life. Paul's saying this is a discipline to grow in. That we would learn what it means in our abounding and in places of our great need that Jesus gives us what we need. There's a process of maturing in that. And Paul says that to us as a very kind older brother who has walked through seasons of great need and great abundance. And what he's telling us out of the overflow of his life is that I have experienced the promises of Jesus Christ being true for me regardless of the season that I'm in. He's saying I've I've learned, I've walked in those promises, I've learned what they mean in all of these different places. That even in the places of incredible doubt, even in places of incredible fear, even in the places where it feels like God is very far away, even in those places your Jesus is walking closely with you and he is giving you what you need. We talked about that last week, right? That prayer is not a way of stuffing our desires. Prayer is a way of bringing our heart in vulnerability to our Father and saying, this is what I most desire. Will you meet me here? And that we can, we can trust God in those places. We're invited to trust God in those places because of, because of what we're about to celebrate when we celebrate communion. Right? In Romans 8.32, Paul says, he, did, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will, how will he not along with him freely or graciously give us all things? that the the way that we know that we can trust the character of God to be generous toward us, his people, his children, is because he has already given us something that is far beyond what we could ever ask or imagine, and that came to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That God is the ultimate generous giver. That even when we were enemies, even when we were apart from God, even when we hated God, that God came toward us and he gave us the most precious thing he could give us, which is himself. And he gave freely, out of his abundance, out of the overflowing of his character and love, not because he needed something from us, because, but because he delights to delight in us. That he provided himself generously for us. So that what we do now when we come to the communion table Is that we are invited to bring our whole selves. Not stoically not trying to shove down the things that are deep inside of us, but admitting our desperate need for God. That when we come to the communion table and we come stoically, we do not honor God at all. That God desires us to come in all of our desperation. That if you are so aware of your of your sin today, that you think, how could Jesus love me? How could Jesus have given himself for me? That in that place, that's desperation welling up inside of you. And so that place of desperation is where Jesus invites you to come to him. He says, yes, bring that sin to me. And so in a few minutes, when we take some time in the songs that we're gonna sing for you to reflect that what you can do in that that moment is you can confess those sins to God and say, God, I'm sorry for these things. I need you here. I feel desperate here for your forgiveness. And what we pick up at the communion table isn't fresh forgiveness, as if if we would not have said those things, God would not have forgiven us. That's not what we're doing. What we're doing when we, when we take the elements, when we confess those things to God and trust him to meet us in faith is that we're saying to him, Lord, I'm, I'm taking hold of the forgiveness that has already taken hold of me. And so we come in desperation. That we're invited to come with the desperation, the, sometimes the, the, the fear and the anxieties that riddle us with the doubts that can make our heart feel cold. That God has given us a communion table that has actual uh, bread and, and, and juice, something real and tangible to remind us that even when our hearts feel cold, that our Savior is not cold toward us. He says, even in those places, cry out to me in desperation because I delight to meet you there. And that even in the places of our unmet desires, the things that we desperately want or that we want to be different in the circumstances that we are crying out for God to change. God doesn't say to us, no, stuff that away and just just try to reach a Zen place of peace. No, he says this communion table is a place for you to come and bring all of those desires to him. It's a place for you to cry out to him. So again, as we're in that space where we're singing, that's a space for you to take all of those desires to God and to say, Lord, I want you to meet me here. And, the com- and communion is the promise that he does meet us there. And there's a warning when we come to the table as well. That if what you're saying when you come to Jesus is no, I will not bring my whole self to you, if you'll say yes, Jesus, I've I've claimed that you are the Lord and master of my life, but I refuse to be mastered by your love for me, then he says this table is not for you right now. That we come here in faith and with all of our desperation to him. That if there are sins if there are things that we're treasuring that are not Christ that he's trying to direct us away from he's not asking us to have all of that figured out but he's asking to come, us to come and submit those things to him and if, we, if you're refusing to do that he says wait deal with that first and if you're here and you're, and you're not a believer and all of these things are kind of foreign to you, you're exploring them, you're thinking about them, man, that is wonderful. As we sing and we invite you to pray, to ask God to show himself to you, that he would reveal himself as this generous self-giving God to you. But the table is a table of faith. And so we would say, wait, the table is not for you yet. We're praying and hoping with you for the day that it is. Because again, this is the place that we come to remind ourselves that we have been mastered by the grace and the love of our Jesus. So I'm gonna invite uh, the guys to come up and, and to, to play for us. Um, I would invite you, you're free to, you can pull down the kneelers, you can kneel, you can sit, whatever you need to do to engage with the Lord. This is the, these first two songs are the opportunity for you to cry out to Jesus and to tell him how much you need him. And then what we're gonna do is I'll come back up and we'll take the elements together at the same time. So it's a little bit different than how we've done it the last few weeks, but that's how we're gonna do it today. So I'll come back up and prompt you together and then we'll get a chance to respond to God and to thank him for his generosity toward us. Let me let me pray for us. Father, as we uh, engage with you this morning at the communion table, we ask God that you would meet us here. And we trust that you desire to meet us here. Lord, uh, Would you would you wake up our hearts Lord, so often we can be cold and unfeeling towards you and ask that you would show us our great desperation because you are a generous giver who delights to meet us there. Lord, whether that's the sin that we're afraid to look at, that we're afraid of other people knowing, whether that's uh, our, the, the ravenous nature of our unmet desires, or whether it's our fears or our doubts, we pray that you would uh, bring those things to mind for us and that as we confess them to you and bring them to you, uh, we trust that you will meet us there in faith. Amen.